Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, everybody? I am Chris Sinclair, and I am joined, as always, by my very good friend, Mr. Drew Garrison. Uh, and tonight, we are uh, enjoying this chilly weather here in Sacramento as it starts to uh, move into uh, move into winter. Drew, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing good. It's my favorite weather. We're officially in consistent hoodie weather. And when you're in hoodie weather, that means that you're um, also securely put into scotch drinking weather um Amen. now i do tend to drink scotch throughout the year but definitely as um as it gets colder i i find myself drinking more and more of it and not really necessarily mixing in anything else and and then the expressions just get peatier and peatier and peatier um so i i love it i i love this weather so much i mean i have an extensive hoodie and jacket collection that mostly gets used by my cats to hide in for most of the year. And then, so I spend like the first part of the winter just getting cat hair off stuff. Um, so that's a, that's a whole thing that I get to deal with, but it sounds fun. It's not, it's so not. <laughs> uh, and it's like one of those, and anybody who has any animals, you know, we'll know with like longer hair. It's like, you think you get it. And then you walk outside and then like the sun gets it from every angle. And it's like, oh, there is hair still literally everywhere. Um, so, yeah, it just uh, it's really, really terrible. And it's also terrible because tonight we we had a really awesome guest lined up and he had a family emergency pop up. So he had to cancel on us. But um, on the flip side of that, we're going to get him back in here. And also um, I went on, I guess basically just like a drunk binge of inviting people to be on the podcast and um a shocking amount of people said yes so uh chris you were sending me names of people that we should have on and a lot of them i didn't recognize but i still found ways to reach out to them and they all said yes which is That's just incredible. bonkers to me um and it's actually been George kind Clooney of like said a, yes <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> um, it's, uh, it, it, it was, it's, it's almost kind of like this Christmas morning thing too, because a lot of the stuff I legitimately, cause I, I did invite quite a few people and then I also, um, just was kind of going rapid fire with it. So I forgot some of them. So as they like, they emailed and messaged me back, I was like, oh my God, I asked that person too. Like, good for me. Um, so <laughs> over, over I'm a, the I'm next... a big fan of, uh, of liquid courage, Drew. Well, yeah, I mean, you good. always like, and, and you know, that's always going to be the case with me. Some of my, some of our best interviews, some of the best things that I've done is, have always started with that. Right. And, um, and I'm really excited legitimately about like the next two to three months. Cause that's like how many people I reached out to. <laughs> and so now this is going to be like juggling schedules and trying to get that and, and whatnot. Um, so, and just to kind of give people an idea of like the, the scale of people that we're going to be bringing in, it's like, they said yes, but then like, but work with my assistant to get this set up. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we can do that. So, so it's going to be Incredible. fun, but, uh, but we're, we're not there yet. We're going to be there soon and we'll, we'll have some fun people for you to check out, but let's, we'll bring it back to the present. Um, Chris, what are you sipping on? Oh man. Uh, speaking of scotch tonight, I'm drinking, uh, Glenn Roth is 12. 
Nice. Delicious Speyside Scotch. Just fruity enough. Just a, like a hint of peat on it. Uh, still with like a little bit of vanilla and like chocolate. Like a, a, a touch of like honeydew, which is so much fun. I, it, this is like one of the, one of the early, early, um, what I would consider sort of like boutique scotches that when I first got into it, it's still a go-to for me. Um, specifically this time of year, I love it. And it's, it's a, it, it's a staple on my, on my home bar shelf. Yeah, that's, um, it's like one of my, one of my favorite go-tos as well. Uh, you know, it's owned by the Edrington group. So they also have McAllen and they have Highland Park. And you can imagine if you're, if you're the Glen Roths and you're in that book, you know, and you're under that ownership, like you got to feel like a little bit of a redheaded stepchild, right? Just kind of, Oh, definitely. Like you, yeah. you got the behemoth that is McAllen and I'm sure Highland Park feels that way to a certain degree too. But, um, well, but I always love seeing it too. And it's changing their package every like three years. Yeah, no kidding, right? They they definitely have an identity crisis on their hands. It's just like it's like you guys relax. You make really good whiskey. Like you don't, you know. It's really to, good. I mean, I mean I, and it's it's pretty offensive that people don't don't appreciate it quite as much. But well, I just, I mean, I think it. I think it's one of those things too. Like to to your point, there's kind of like that lack of consistency now, where they have introduced so many different concepts and stuff that you don't know what it is. Like, okay, it's like, are they doing the Viking thing now, or are they doing? Are they going <laughs> back to back to the basics, which which I was very I was very pro um, uh, Viking. Like the I think it was I know I have it somewhere. Oh, it's right there. Because um, you know now all my booze is is within eyesight. Uh, the the Highland Park Valkyrie was was um really really the single malt whiskey that like really made it click for me and so that's a that's a bottle that i very much so baby because it there's no reason that it should still be around um but uh that so that's a really good one. but when i see the glenn ross up i always it's because it's, it's definitely gonna be a different profile you know like you said it's gonna be a little bit easier to drink it's kind of a good everydayer and then I've had a lot of their expressions via independent bottlings and their independent bottlings, like the cast strength Glen Ross are really fun. And then if you go with oh, the original yeah. bottling, like I, you know, they have a unique bottle shape. They look really cool. They stand out on a back, at least they stand out to me on a back bar. So, um, so since we don't have a guest this week, we'll make sure that we share a picture of Glen Roths so people can see what it looks like. It's a, it's a cool bottle. What about you, man? What do you, what are you sipping on? You doing scotch well, also? Yeah, I definitely didn't want to go on this big long rant about how much I enjoy <laughs> scotch and then not be drinking it. Um, so I went with one of our independent bottlers and went with the single cast nation. Um, this is a collaboration bottle that they did for the film The Water of Life. And the Water of Life is a um is like a document a whiskey documentary that it's about like Jim McEwen, uh, one of the guys who started Brook Body and a couple other people, and just like their contributions to to the whiskey world. I have not seen it yet, but I've heard lots of good things. And then, um, you know, Jim McEwen is a huge deal. So I'm sure it's really cool because everything else that I've seen him in has always been really rad. But um, it, like I said, this is from Single Cast Nation. So that is an independent bottler. Um, it's a combination or uh, a vatting of six different casks. And one of them was peated. So there is a little bit of uh, smoke on this, but for the most part, it's kind of really light. That peak kind of comes in at the end. Uh, I'll share a picture of this one too, but, and I know Chris, you can't see cause the, my video is probably not great, but uh, there's a, there's a sheep on it. So, you know, I'm always going to pop <laughs> for that. 
there's a sheep on it with like a with like a boom mic as well to kind of you know do that but you know single cast nation is is always going to be one of my favorites of course we had um elijah ammon on a couple weeks ago and he's and he works with them and they just they just do such good whiskeys and this was part of their newest release in addition to a lot of other really fun ones so so i will also be sipping on some scotch tonight and like i said probably for the next two months pretty consistently Uh, the my my scotch collection will take a big hit so i'm looking forward to it that's great do you uh uh do you have a um, uh, uh, an infinity bottle still? No, I don't. Um, did it did it and, not make the move, or did you just get rid of it prior? Uh, I the the ones that I had, I did. I was never really committed to, and um, I think I like I like lost my sheet that I had like what was in it. So it was just kind of mm-hmm. like fuck it. I'm just gonna drink it. Um, and it was okay. It's certainly like I don't have a future in blending in my near future. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I I think that there's there's obviously something really cool about infinity bottles. You know, the fact that you can continue to add to this bottle and, and blend in these new expressions and just kind of see what happens. Um, but at the same time, it's like when you know what you like, when you know the bottle that you're drinking, like and what the profile is and that you like it, like I want to, I want that bottle kill, you know, I want to drink it. So it's like, okay, now it's gone. And I drank all of it. Cause that's what I do, but I don't know. What, mm-hmm. What's the status of your infinity bottle at this point? Uh, it's relatively full. I I've poured off small amounts and given them away as gifts. So we, I can have some more room in my bottle. Ooh, um, nice. Uh, and that, and that's been fun. You know, I, you know, it's just miscellaneous whiskey that I give to people and, and it changes every time, you know? Um, right. But I, I add almost all kinds of whiskey into my infinity bottle, but I don't, I don't add peated whiskey whiskeys. And I, I've been contemplating just, uh, starting a, a peated whiskey infinity bottle just to see how crazy it gets. Right. Right. And just and, and just so we're clear for, for everybody who's listening. So your infinity bottle, basically, like when you get down to like the last one or two ounces of of any said bottle, um, you then take that and you put and you marry it into another one that has the remnants of other whiskey bottles that you have consumed before. And of course, you can do this with rum. Um, you know, the bourbon, I think it's more so of a, more so of a brown spirits type of thing, but, um, the, the results are, are always mixed. Right. And then basically what you've done is like, you, you know, you've created a classier version of, uh, jungle juice. So like, don't overthink it too much. It is. It is. It's a classy, classy jungle juice. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but that's good. Yeah, there's there's definitely been like those things where because I mean, I know for a lot of a lot of people, in fact, I I, I was I met with um, the local there's a there's a local whiskey group that uh, they call themselves the Sacramento Scotch Society. They've been around for a long time. It's a really fun group. And they um, they were talking to or I was talking to one of their guys today about a lot of different, you know, scotches and things like that. And like, and always the problem is like, you know, the he 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 cracks pretty much everything that he gets right he's not one of those he's not a collector he's a drinker um but does hesitate when it comes to the the one offs that you, he knows he can never get again you know that they're truly that rare like that's that's the tough those are the tougher ones he eventually still opens up but they are the tougher ones and i just was like well you know what you can do in theory 
is, you know, you eventually add that to a, to an infinity bottle and then that whiskey lasts forever. You know, there's always going to be some remnants of that whiskey in your bottle, you know, whether that's true or not. Um, it's, it is kind of cool. And then that does just kind of make me think of, of our friends over, um, with barrel, you know, like barrel bourbon and how, how they do it. They basically have like the biggest infinity bottle of all time. Cause they use big ass steel tanks and that's how they make their whiskey. Um, which is really, which is really fun. It's like one of the few bourbons that I actually get excited about. And then when they do their other collaborations, it's pretty cool too. So it's a, it's a fun one. All right. Are we ready for our opinions on facts we heard from reputable sources? Oh, yeah, baby. Okay. So the first story that we're going to talk about tonight, and actually both stories are things that we've like touched on before. Uh, and in fact, the last time that we talked about this product was with our good buddy, Leon Moore, who has, you know, contributed the music to this podcast. And it has to do with the, um, Lear's non-alcoholic spirit. Now, is it Lear or is it Liar? Did we, what did we decide liar. last time? It is Liar. Liar. Okay. Liar's yeah, which makes sense because the lyre bird can mimic the, the sound of other birds. And so these spirits, obviously being non-alcoholic, are mimicking the taste of real spirits. So they are liars. Um, but they just did a, uh, a round of fundraising and um, they were able to raise an additional $26.8 million dollars which uh, now leads to their total value or they're now worth being 362 million. And they believe that they are going to, they're on track to reach a $1 billion valuation when they go public. Um, Founded in 2019, uh, Liars is available in more than 60 countries with 50 listings in major retailers. And they have all kinds of different, um, you know, non-alcoholic spirits and flavor profiles that you can go and get. One of the, one of the things that they contribute their success to is that the millennials and older gen and older Gen Z's are drinking less alcohol than ever before. And there's a lot more mindful drinking that's happening as well. It's not happening in my household, but I'm sure it's happening in other places. Um, so these, <laughs> this is just a further extension of, of the movement towards like a healthier lifestyle and things like that, but people still wanting to be social. Um, so, so Chris, at, at this point, we see, we saw these different, you know, products being picked up and, you know, now, I mean, you're looking at liars eventually potentially getting a billion dollar evaluation. I mean, what's, what do you think is the next big step for non-alcoholic spirits? Like what needs to happen to really solidify the legitimacy of the category? Man, that's a, that's such a big question. Uh, I feel really un unprepared to answer that i i think that's how we roll i think um that there's there's got to be i mean you see a handful of cocktail bars really really taking uh taking hold of non-alcoholic spirits and 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 normalizing them uh and using them in cocktails either for completely non-alcoholic spirits uh non-alcoholic cocktails or incorporating them so that you know you drop the ABV you know so you end up with some sort of like spritz uh you know something a little bit lower but i i've been finding that that some of these um some of these NA spirits will you know or for lack of a better term non-alcoholic spirits 
um, they they have really unique flavors. Some of them are really enjoyable. Some of them are just like near misses. You know, like I I have yet to taste uh, um, a synthetic you know whiskey or or you know a, a non alcoholic whiskey per se that that really does it for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, I, I've, I've tasted some that have like a little bit of capsaicin in it. So, so it like kind of mimics that whiskey burn. But, it, you know, capsaicin is just, you know, it's it's a different type of heat. It just, it just doesn't translate the same way. Um, what I found that I really enjoy the most is sort of the uh, the the mimicked liqueurs or vermouths um, and the and the gins that those seem to work really, really well. Um, because you have an, uh, a whole other element of uh, flavor additives that that are in there that come from natural natural sources, and it 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 tends to work out really well. Um, Giffard makes like this really great uh, Campari uh, syrup that's just I mean it's just stunning. It's really 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 good. Uh, it's an aperitif, so you know Campari esque uh, syrup. Um, and liars makes liars makes, uh, makes one also they're Italian orange. They also make, um, a sweet vermouth and a dry vermouth. Uh, I used to take the, when, when my wife was pregnant in, uh, and in the hospital before giving, giving birth to our daughter, I used to bring her the, uh, seed lip, like one of the seed lip, uh, gins and one of the, and the liars, uh, sweet vermouth and top it off with soda. We'd have happy hour in her, in her, uh, uh, hospital room. And all the, all the nurses that loved us, it was, it was really great. Um, I, you know, but in terms of taking this to a normalized level, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know really what's necessary. It definitely, it's a growing, uh, it's a growing genre. I don't know what's going to push it over the top to something that just like explodes where it's in every bar you know it becomes like a household name where people just carry that or like you know imagine a dive bar carrying an option of it i yeah i find that sort of hard to believe but you know who knows it it could you know we didn't see you know hard seltzers coming as hard as they did and here we are uh yeah i i mean i think that's a that's a good point um i think what i like about the liars compared to something like a seed lip is that it is a lot more affordable than that um i think anybody who's been a long-time listener of this podcast knows how frustrating i find the fact that non-alcoholic drinks are looking to be just as expensive as alcoholic drinks on people's menus um or maybe there's only like a dollar or two difference and i just that's a that's a concept that i personally have a really hard time with and i'm sure there's all kinds of math involved that make it make sense but (laughs) no one's taken the time to explain that to me and I just feel like I'm being duped. Um, I do. I mean, it's got to think- require it's got to require a certain methodology and and equipment to produce something of that caliber, right? I mean, there's yeah. I mean, it, and depending on seed lip, like it's still being distilled, right? So it's still passing through the same the same equipment that a uh, booze is passing through. It's just coming out the other side in a different uh, molecular form. Yeah, they're distilling water, right? You know. Which is, you know, kind of like a, a gross reduction of of what the process is. But um yeah, I I, I want to see the student. I think where I do think where it struggles and maybe where it'll have the tough the tough time making the transition. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, but I think where most places struggle is what do you label 
these drinks? Like in that section, is it non-alcoholic? Is it low ABV, no ABV? Um, and I think the and I think the reason being is because you know there are a lot of people who want to go out and want to enjoy themselves, um, and they want to have a drink in their hand, but they don't necessarily want to have something super boozy or, or, or things like that. But I think that sometimes with those menus, if you go about it the wrong way, it could almost feel like you're ordering off the kid's menu. And we all know that a bar is a completely ego-driven entity. And so if you're making people feel less confident about their drink choices, like how do you incorporate that menu into your normal drink menu, make it seem seamless, but also be very clear that like, hey, if you order these... This is not, these are not going to have alcohol in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, you know, that that's a good point. And I think it comes from a very specific uh, point of view. I will say, you know, especially this time of year around holiday parties, um, the amount of times where I would work like um, office holiday parties, they come to the bar, they do, they do buyouts at whatever bar I've worked in. There's always been, you know, three or four people at those parties who are always like, you know, hey, I'm going to order a vodka tonic, but never put, vodka or tonic in it i just want soda water you know yeah. and that those are those people who just want to like have something in their hand and want to be looked like they're they're drinking so that way nobody asks them right you know to take yep. a shot or to have a drink yep. you know um and i think that there's there's something to be said for for that you know um offering something to somebody who doesn't really have an ego involved in it who just who still wants to be part of this social milieu do you think this will make it this will make it easier for them to have these options? Like they'll have better drinks where they won't just be drinking soda water or. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a possibility or having like, you know, fojitos <laughs> just like <laughs> lime, limeade, mint and Sprite or something like that. You know, like it, it offers just a little bit, a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more give a little bit more leeway. I think I think also, you know, this is this is a big question because before this genre of drink even really existed or, or at least burst onto the scene as it as as it has in the last couple of years, um, this was a conversation amongst bartenders all you know, pretty often. And you know, I, I remember being engaged in co- conversations with bartenders who just hated the term mocktail. You know, is they felt right. like that was yeah. that was just diminutive and and silly um and so this conversation's been going a long time and i i don't see an you know an end in sight in terms of how do you label it how do you make it approachable but i think offering offering something to people who you know who either want to like have have uh courses in the middle of their drinking that's not booze or you know, just don't want to go to a bar and engage w- without uh, consuming. I think all of those are, are totally reasonable and uh, and people should be able to, uh, you know, engage in society how they how they feel most comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I do, and I do think I was uh, I was actually talking with my my new neighbor about this recently where um, I've always found it interesting, like in our industry, you do see a lot of people who like take breaks from drinking or have stopped drinking. And it's like, it's something that is typically like encouraged. Right. You know, and it's usually met with like a lot of, um, a lot of like fanfare and, you know, like I said, encouragement. 
Um, it's always like when I tell people outside the industry that I'm taking a break from like drinking, like they always think like, Oh, well, what happened? You know, like what's wrong, you know, <laughs> right, you know, and, right. and that's like the, which I always just think is, is, is so hilarious. Um, you know, another interesting point about, about this valuation and kind of what liars is doing is, um, you know, the biggest markets for these types of products, which, you know, again, we're seeing more and more pop up, uh, it seems like every day is, uh, the U S and the UK, but what they're doing right now is they're expanding into uh, the Middle East and uh, and into the Far East as well. And what they've what they're saying is they're basically entering these these markets uncontested. Like there's just nobody else that's doing these things. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens in these markets and if they'll be embraced or not. Um, you know, depending on what country you're talking about, like there's so many different factors that play into it in terms of like what the popular drinks are, what the social norms are. I mean, like, you know, a, a spirit that we've talked about a lot on the show um, and that Brian Lee still needs to get us a sample of is like Baiju, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's something that, you know, does get consumed at an unbelievable click, you know, throughout Asia, but does not really get consumed here. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, are those flavor profiles that are so popular there, will those be made? Like, will liars do a Baiju? You know, will they have that that flavor profile that's like, that obviously, like, people really, really enjoy for one reason or another, but can they duplicate that? And are they going to be okay with uh, with it not having alcohol in it? So I think that's... That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, and I'm sure that they're looking into it. I mean, again, they're they're entering these markets uncontested, so they're going to find an audience. But how do you grow that audience? I mean, and how do you yeah. tap into that many people as well? You know, I mean, in the Middle East can, too. I mean, imagine, I imagine them do it like attempting like a a, a non alcoholic Iraq, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd yeah. be really cool, also, if they could mimic the louche. You know, it's yeah, where, absolutely. Where it just cloudy with the with the addition of water. That'd be crazy. It's uh, it's it's really funny you mentioned that. So last week, um, I took I took my dad up to one of my accounts, like near my house, and um, and uh, we were tasting through a bunch of different things and and whatnot. And my account eventually brings out a bottle of Arak, which initially kind of bugged me because he was really excited about it and i was like i've tried to show you arak multiple times and now here you are like all excited about it and it's not one of mine um but anyways he uh he tasted it and and you know my my dad actually ended up really enjoying it and then even fact just today he's uh he's down the napa area and uh he texted me other times he's like hey what was that you know, black licorice stuff that we drank last week. And I told him, he's like, Oh, I'm telling everybody about it right now. It's like, that's cool. I'm glad that you're, that you enjoyed it enough. So, uh, I can tell you, Bob Garrison is a fan of Arak. So, uh, <laughs> you know, stop the presses. It was, it was really cool. And, and again, if anybody, I know we've, I've, that's probably the one spirit that I don't, and I don't know about you, Chris, but like the one spirit that the most people who listen to the podcast ask me about, they're like, they're like, yeah, and what's that weird one? Like the, you know, the one from the Middle East, like that you guys are drinking. It's like, it's, it's like, it's Arak. Like we talk about it a lot. We need to get someone on here. Like maybe we do get uh, Chris Hassan Frankie from, from Green Zone to come in and, and drop some more knowledge on it because that dude knows so much about the category. It's, it's insane. So yeah, it's great. Um, you know, then there really aren't very many, uh, 
uh, bars in the U.S. that are that are utilizing it in cocktail programs, which is just insane to me because that the the category has so much flavor and so much to offer, uh, right? In so many different ways, you know. I mean, you think about how many different gins taste so incredibly wildly different. Arak right. is is right there too, you know. Yeah, no, I I agree. So once again, um, you know, we talk about non-alcoholic spirits, but then we're really pushing the rock on you guys. So I want you guys to know we haven't <laughs> lost, we haven't, we haven't lost our way. We still, we know what got us here. So. <laughs> Yo. Uh. Okay, so our next story is again another one that we've discussed in the past, but um, here's a little, I guess maybe like a an update. And that is the fact that six master sommeliers are going to be expelled following the sexual harassment findings. Um, so this was a story that we started with. Oh my gosh, it's it's hard to remember time at this point. But but last year, like year uh, there ago? was Jeez. yeah, it was over it was over a year ago. There was allegations made by twenty one female sommeliers who came forward and were talking about just the culture of sexual harassment, manipulation, and assault that has been occurring within the court of master sommeliers during its entire existence. Um, and so after hearing evidence from more than 80 individuals, an ethics committee found that six men, including one of the co-founders of the organization to, to have exhibited behaviors ranging from inappropriate comments and flirting to non-consensual touching. Um, this is a situation where there was a lot of um mentoring relationships that were being exploited and perceived as a quid pro quo situation um there was basically the entire board resigned last year and there is um and again now six people should i read the six names or should we move yeah yeah do them okay Uh, because i I didn't know if it was one of those things like do you highlight the monsters or whatever but let's uh one and i guess that's i mean i don't know what each each one is accused of but obviously it's to the point where they're being kicked out of the um Master small A group, and that well, is going to be Bob kicked Bath. out, and they're losing their title, which is huge. Yes, I mean that's, I mean, yeah. that's, that's massive. One well, is, and especially if, if anybody at home has has watched any of the um, SOM documentaries, and you see what these people uh, have to do in order to pass these tests. Which again, we've also done stories on how those tests end up being kind of bullshit, anyways. So, um, the six sommeliers to be evicted include Bob Bath, Fred Dame, Fred Dexheimer. Drew Hendricks, Joseph Linder, and Matt Stamp. Uh, each will lose their master sommelier title and be expelled from the organization pending a legal hearing within the next 30 days, according to the press release from the from the Court of Master Psalms. Um, so it looks like, actually here, here it is. This was first reported in the New York Times in October of 2020. So yeah, yeah, just, a, just over a year. Um, of the 172 total members of the Court of Master Sommeliers in America, 144 are men. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's for people not not doing the math on their own. Their own. That's 28 Master Sommelier women yeah. in the world. That's, that's not it. a lot. It's, no, it's it. It's certainly not a lot. It was definitely a good boy. So the the question the question that I have for you, Chris is at this point and where we're at as an industry just with you know everything that's still going on covid related 
you know, restaurants continuing to shut down and all this stuff. And then on top of that, like this really ridiculous black eye that exists um, on, on the master Psalms court. Does this organization need to still exist? Mm, need to no. Uh, will it? Yeah. Um, do- okay. Let me adjust For, that. Then. Th- should should okay. it exist? Yeah. Should it exist? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's fine. I, I don't think something like this um, takes down an organization because an organization like this is, um, is populated simply by, by the people that exist within it. Right. So uh, the, the population of this organization is greater than these six men and, and it will continue to be. Um, And not saying that they are the only ones and not saying that, you know, this is, this is a problem that is going to be fixed by their expulsion. Um, But there's plenty of, plenty of people out there who want, want to prove themselves. They want that experience. They want the, um, the legitimate legitimization of their careers, uh, through testing, through pieces of paper, you know, through, um, a gaining of knowledge, you know, just cause it, 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 um, allows them, you know, um, um, acceleration in their career you know growth uh for better better jobs better money um so this this will continue you know um there's i think really what it comes down to is a fetishization of gatekeeping of knowledge um it's it's really you see it you see it in all areas of life uh anybody who has something that somebody else wants they're going to use that uh, as leverage to get what they want. But we see it in our industry. You know, we see it locally here in Sacramento. We see it, um, you know, pretty often throughout, throughout the industry. And this is just another, another really sad example. You know, I, and I think perfect example of it is, you know, let's just look at this again, right? 172 master sommeliers, 28 are women. But what does almost every single uh, uh, respectable distillery have? And that's a female taster, you know, and blender. It's people who it's because women biologically have better palates than men do. And it's something that I am very jealous of. But if that's a fact, then how are there only 28? And that's because there's a gatekeeping of knowledge and a gatekeeping of status. And that's gross. Um, but I, you know, I think, I think that there's, there's a lot of growth that that's necessary. And I think that even though it has a black eye, um, the people who exist within the court are going to be working their ass off to sort of, uh, to heal that pretty quickly. You know, um, do you see around and before i actually before i go into this question i do want to reaffirm like yeah the fact that you do have every other industry realizing how important the contributions of women are to their to their final product and then the fact that the the master court of sommeliers does not reflect that at all is like mental right like it just it doesn't make sense in terms of in terms of the grand scheme but um 
you know, if this is an organization that's going to continue and it's one that is going to, I guess, hold on to kind of like a status like that, that career mover and accelerator and, and things like that, um, you know, because there were a lot of people calling for the end of the court of, you know, the master court of sommeliers. Uh, is there anything that you can think of that you'd be like, if they started doing this, like this would be better. I mean, I know for myself, I think the lack of transparency has been a huge issue for them, especially when it comes to the testing process, because you'll be like, you know, you get tested on multiple things, but you don't get told exactly. I mean, like, you might, oh, well, your, your numbers were a little low on this end of it, you know? And again, this ends up being like a subjective thing, right? So I think maybe like a, an increase in transparency to be like, okay, this is, this is why, um, this is happening or this is why you didn't pass the test or this is why you passed the test. And, you know, and I don't think it's a scenario where you have to, you have to like make like a, like a necessarily like a campaign to like get more women in. I think there's more than enough women that are qualified to be master Psalms. I think yep. it's just, yeah. it's removing the, the stigma that you're this good old boy organization. And, and maybe this is, this is part of it, but it's like, you know, I don't know. What what are your thoughts? Do you have anything that that you would do if you were in this in this spot? That you know, one of the few men left standing here who apparently you know <laughs> wasn't gross. So uh, you know, I obviously we're speaking we're speaking from on you know uh, being flies on the wall. So not having gone through the process of of, of uh, the sommelier. Uh, testing i think there's there's sort of two things right is yeah transparency is totally necessary transparency across the board in all things is totally necessary um especially in our industry and again that comes that comes back to fetishizing gatekeeping right it's like oh i've made it through this mysterious veil onto the other side and how did you get there well you know you got to try and you then you'll find out how do you do it uh, and that's, uh, it's just bullshit. Um, there needs to be there, you know, for tests like that, you need to have, even if they are subjective, even if it's based on someone's experience of whether or not someone like has it or does not have it. Uh, we're all adults here and adults use their fucking words. And you learn that in kindergarten, right? <laughs> like Use your words. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, use your fucking words, learn how to speak to people and communicate and teach them how to get better. That's why they're doing this, right? Then people aren't, aren't out there just like throwing shit against the wall and just hoping that it sticks. But that seems to be the way that, that people get their masters. It's ridiculous. So there needs right. to be, you know, there needs to be transparency. There needs to be a grading scale. Um, and at very least, you know, like you would do with your thesis in getting your PhD, right? Like you argue it, you defend it. You know, there needs to be a discussion involved in how you get from point A to Z, right? Um, on top of that, I think that there also needs to be uh, a growing, a growing trend of outside of you know uh, service for sommelier. Sommelier is a job, um, but those who get their master sommelier don't necessarily do sommelier work. Um, they do education, they do brand ambassador work. Um, and so I think that there needs to be 
an increase, maybe drifting a little bit more towards like you would with the W set, you know, getting more into sort of the technical side um, and the sales side of things that, that come into that, that make uh, the sommelier more, um, uh, more applicable to, to a broader swath of, um, of the industry. And just so the listeners know, the W set is an education program that you can do that is a little bit more encompassing. So they do they do spirits, wine, and beer. They talk about production. They talk about the sales aspect, as Chris just pointed out. And um, and yeah, I mean that's I think that's a great idea uh, because you know as someone who's been primarily focused on spirits for most of their career, trying to make this transition into wine you know, it's difficult on one hand because the vocabulary is so different and, and trying to just get savvy to that. But then additionally, trying to sell wine is, I mean, it's so uniquely challenging. Um, you know, when you pop open a bottle of whiskey, like that bottle's fine three weeks later, you pop open a bottle of wine and, and you got, I mean, the, the time has started, you know, the clock is ticking. You need to get that to as many people as you possibly can before it starts to turn in. And even if you're using something like a Coravin, which is that, you know, device that kind of, you know, steals the wine out of it. I mean, I've, I've found with a few of my bottles that you hit it with a Coravin once and it ruins the wine. It absolutely ruins it. And I won't be told different. It's just, it, I mean, I did it like I Coravin did on a Tuesday night, tried it Wednesday morning and it tasted completely different. Um, so it's a it's a bizarre thing and I think that's a really great idea. I'd love to see a little bit more little bit more education on on those aspects of it. Because I mean, yeah, again, to kind of reference back to the Psalm movies, like when you and, and we've all been in this scenario, right? Where whether you're around an actual Psalm or you're around someone who um, you know, is a big time wino and stuff like that, and like you just you listen to the notes that they're giving you and you, and they just sound like assholes. You know, because you're just kind of like, you're like, what? Like, like wet stone and, you know, and and, it, and the thing is, like, we all know what these things taste like, but you're not necessarily using that to describe um, your thing. Um, what one, one point I do want to bring up, and this is, it is related to wine, but it is something that I also just recently learned. And I, and I wish I would have been doing this for a lot longer, but, um, you know, when you go to a, a like a different you know, different restaurants and stuff like that that have these really great wine programs. And, you know, whether you get the recommendation from a sommelier or you get a recommendation just from somebody who's super educated, like I got that when I was at um, one of our local, like uh, higher end restaurants, Ella, you know, the, our server was great, gave us a really great uh, recommendation, but I was talking to some other people just kind of about the, about that experience. And and I'm hoping what this does, what it did for me, I'll do for everybody else right now. But always offer your server or sommelier a pour of whatever wine you get. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, it's just a classy move, uh, and you look like <laughs> a baller. So, I mean, in terms of perception, it's a, there's a, that's a good reason to do it. But then also, um, you know, you're helping to improve that person's knowledge, and uh, you know, and what you do is, you know, you have them bring out the glass. Now, you pour it yourself. Like, don't let them pour their own, you know, taster because you want to. You know, that's kind of not that's not really etiquette. So you want to make sure that you pour their taster for them. And then um, if you ever bring your own bottle, you absolutely need to do that for your server. Yeah. Um, You don't even have a choice at that point. 
So uh, I've never been one to bring my own wine into places. I, it, it, does, it very rarely leaves my house once it once it enters. So, um, but I just wanted I wanted to share that because like I recently learned that, and I just was like I felt so disappointed by all the times I had not done it, and the times that I could have done it. So hopefully, uh, you know, if the if the liar story didn't get your rocks off, and then six psalms going down get your rocks off, maybe you just learn something a little bit right here today because i think it's, it's just i mean again it's just it's kind of a baller move so i'm just trying to make i'm trying to make everybody cooler this is what i'm it's for. definitely it's definitely a baller move you know i uh funny that you should say that i i have this um benchmark of success in my life that i want to like i want to sustainably be at and that's when i can go out to a classy dinner and send a bottle of wine to the kitchen for the end of their night i want to be that Ooh. guy that could do that oh that is God damn! I got a new. I got a new, new goal. That's a, that's an amazing one. <laughs> I just want to be like, you know a, what? This bottle of wine's so good. Send it back to the kitchen. Oh, I love it! I love it. One day, right? Yep. Yo. You know who's dope? Them over there. All right, guys. So now it's time for. My favorite section where we do our dope follow of the week. This is where we're going to tell you who to follow, who to check out. Could be an Instagram account. Could be uh, most of the time. It's actually most of the time it's Instagram accounts, um, but it could be other podcasts. It could be uh, books, whatever. And then there's actually um, there's actually another segment that I want to do, too, that we're going to do after after this. And Chris doesn't even know about it yet because I just thought of it. But um yeah, I know intrigue building, but first we're going to start with our dope follow. So, Chris, who is your dope follow this week? Okay, I'm throwing a I'm throwing a, a wrench into the system here. I'm going with a book because <laughs> I'm highbrow nice. today, uh, and th- this uh, this has to do with the opening uh, of uh, Bodega and getting ready for that. Um, but this is a cookbook that um, uh, someone from uh, Good Bottle, Yvonne, who works with me at Good Bottle, uh, suggested to me, and I bought it. And I'm in love with it. It's called Coconuts and Collards. It's recipes and stories from Puerto Rico to the Deep South. And it is a um, un, uh, unorthodox, uh, you know, mishmash of recipes uh, that are Puerto Rican and Southern recipes all, all squished together. And the recipes in here are freaking fire. Uh, so much so that um, New York Times cooking this last week referenced this book. I say like once or twice uh, for, for some of their, uh, for some of their recipes. Uh, It's a lot of fun. And um, I've cooked quite a few things out of here that are just fucking smashing. They're just delicious. Uh, And it's a lot of fun. And and I'm definitely going to be using, using it in, in the restaurant. What was the best thing that you cooked out of there so far? Just so people know what page to flip to Uh, glazed, uh, glazed plantains with white beans and uh, ginger. Ooh. Yeah. Dope. Okay. I'm def. I'm definitely into that. All right. That's a good great. one. Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm I'm very excited for for the bodega, and I know it won't be exactly what I want it to be, but today there was a really great picture I saw on Twitter of a bodega cat sitting in the middle of a um of a liquor shelf and he just has bottles all around him and he's like tucked in the back and you kind of have to be looking for him he almost blends into it 
and you know and of course on one end like you just got this tremendous amount of anxiety about it right because there's a cat who's just ready to knock over all these bottles but on mm-hmm. the other side of it you're kind of like you're like oh i just love the fact that you know there's just this cat that just hanging out in this bodega right now and that's that's his spot you know um, you know, you know, the memes hanging. that are like going around now that they're, they're like, you have normal person, then evil person does this, right? Like, I feel like bodega cats, the evil cat and like bodega cats, the evil cat that doesn't push shit off of shelves. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's definitely uh, <laughs> that definitely makes a lot of sense because it's just, yeah, they're just existing, you know? Yeah. Like they're not, they're uh, not there. You know, to it's cause funny mayhem. is since since the announcement of opening bodega uh, and like, and working on it and getting it ready and everything like that. Uh, uh, I have received innumerable uh, Instagram um, like DMS of people just sending me bodega cat posts like over and over and over again. And it brings me no end of joy. It's just, yeah. it's lovely. I love it. That's a good thing to be associated with. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. All right. What's yours? Um, so I have two, uh, and one of them is an Instagram account and the, and that one is going to be called you would hate it. Um, <laughs> this is a Instagram account that basically pokes fun at the liquor industry constantly. Um, and then also takes on like some serious stuff too. But like, so a couple of weeks ago, like when heaven Hill was going through all their stuff, like they were just annihilating heaven Hill nonstop. Um, but it's just a lot of like series of memes and and things like that from from the uh, from the industry. And so, you know, I think so often a lot of like the memes and jokes are kind of at the expense of of like the consumer and rightfully so, because most of them suck. But on this one, it's it's legitimately like shots at the industry and like at different brands and stuff like that. There's a couple really good gems in there. Um, so again, that one, that one is called, you would hate it. Uh, it's just spelled out completely uh, like that. And then the, the second thing that I have, uh, and this is actually, this is a new addition to my rotation. Um, and it's a podcast and it's called the black wine guy. And, uh, this is a show that's hosted by MJ Towler and he is the first, african-american auctioneer of of uh rare wines and i like like it's like I th- he has he says it a lot better than i do but um but i started like i came across his profile actually on instagram which is also the black wine guy and then um i started talking with him and and following his show and it's just really good he's got really good guests i mean he's he's awesome with the way that he hosts and uh, he de- and like he d- makes no secret about the fact that he eventually wants to have his own show and stuff. So he's like, like in today's episode, he's like, I watch this cooking show, I watch this travel show, and this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And and it's just kind of like it's it's just cool. It's a it's a good show. It, the the guy is like super super relatable and um and it's solid. So so again, the Instagram account is you would hate it, and then the podcast is the Black Wine Guy. So nice. check those check those out. Okay, now. I don't know I how thinking, to transition. Can I do well, a Wawa? Uh, yeah, do a Wawa. Do a Wawa. Wawa! Yo. A little behind okay. the curtain. People know now that we call that the Wawa. We call that the Wawa. Um, I had a really interesting week of 
tasting spirits that I've never gotten to taste before. And and this is something that we actually do pretty often, right? I mean, we we talk about it on the show. Um, you know, Chris, you're constantly brought in new things by different reps. I'm constantly brought in, you know, if I'm there, I'm drinking some of your stuff. I'm at other people's stuff. Like I drink other people's stuff and and I love to try it. So what I want to do is, you know, I, I want to keep, you know, most of our format, right? Like we're always drinking something during the show, but I also want to add, what's the most interesting thing that you drank this week? And I realize that I'm catching you a little off guard. Um, so we're going to, we're going to say like just something interesting over like the past month, maybe, but each week. I'd like to start doing that where we don't spend too much time on it, but just kind of like, Hey, new things that came across my face that I had not seen before, or maybe something that uh, like in my case has been in front of my face for a long time and the clouds parted and I finally got to try it. So you're thinking about it. I'm going to do mine. Okay. Uh, and I actually have two, so I'm already changing the rules to this. Um the first thing that I'm that I'm going to talk about is I got a bottle of the online release of the Binley Rum uh, from Single Cast Nation. Binley Rum is out of uh, Australia, and most of the most of the rum that people are familiar with from down there is actually Bundaberg, which is this big conglomerate and place that doesn't really make stuff that you necessarily want to sip on. I mean, I have one that's like decent, but for the most part, it's not. But Binley is this really cool, really cool distillery. And um, I got a single cask of it. And it's just, it's amazing. I drank like half the bottle in my first sitting with it. 65.1% um, on this. It's 14 years old. And uh, it's just, it's a truly, truly beautiful, beautiful bottle. So, so that was one thing. And then... I had a bucket list spirit this past week. Uh-oh. And when it comes to bucket list spirits for me, I have this really, really stupid rule where I'm like, I I won't pay for it. I'll trade spirits for it. I'll do, but I'm, I, I don't ever want to pay for them. I just want to be able, I want to be offered them and then go from there. So this week for the first time ever, I got to try Louis the 13th. Ooh, little Louis Trey, huh? Okay. A and little, I got to have a little Louis Trey. And I'll say this. I was, it was at a point in the night where I wish I had not drank so much um, <laughs> when that was offered to me. But I will say it's, I've never wanted to own a bottle. I mean, and just for, for context, like this is a bottle that typically will cost you like on the shelf, like $5,000, right? Um, I've never wanted to buy one. And now I want to buy one because really? it tasted so good. And considering where my palate was at in the night, it had no business tasting as good as it, as it did. Um, now I was mostly drinking mezcal for the most part. And so it hit on a very different, you know, part of my palate and things like that. But I was more than pleasantly surprised by how good that bottle was. And it was something that now I'm looking at some of my cryptocurrency being like, come on boys, hit it big so I can buy this bottle. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, that's officially. So now I need to find like a new white whale. I need to find something that, um, cause it was the Louis for the, for the longest time. Like I just, yeah, man, that's I, a, that's a good one. I, uh, I, I don't think I've ever had Louis. Uh, I've had, a have had a lot of cognacs. Um, and I don't, I don't think I've ever had Louis. Um, I'm always afraid of of sort of those 
white whales because you put them on a shelf for so long and, uh, or sorry, up on a pedestal for so long and, and totally who knows yep. how good they could be, you know, when you have it, especially given all the other things that we consume and all the other things that we know about when, when we drink things, I mean, the bottle for Louis Trey empty, like sells for like 500 bucks. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's a beautiful it's, it's bottle, real crystal. Right? So it's, yeah. Yeah. It's real crystal. Yeah. It's hand blown. Each bottle is hand blown. It's just gorgeous. Uh, so that, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It's a, uh, uh, you know, that it held up for you. That's uh that's, that's great. It was, it was funny because it, the way it worked out, like I was in one room and it was in the next and like the guy just brought it to me and I just was like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to drink something else. Like I've been drinking a lot of mezcal, you know, you're trying to hand me this Brown spirit right now. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not interested. And he's like, no, you're going to be interested in this one. I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Like, please leave me alone. And then, um, and then he told me what it was and I went running into the other room and I just was like, I was like, this is a bucket list spirit for me. Of course I'm going to drink it. This is amazing. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, I mean, it, again, like I, I was, I was shocked at how much I ended up liking it. Cause I just, I was convinced I was like, there's like, there's no way this is going to be good. You know um, it's too hyped. It's, it's too that. Uh, so I think, I mean, do, do I think it's worth $5,000? No, but I think if you got like, it's like more of it's like typical pricing, like right around like 25 to three, like that's a little bit more, like I get that, you know, that makes a little bit more sense to me. So, you know, uh, and I, was then, yeah, sitting, then, I, w- I was sitting at the bar at our local Morton's steakhouse uh, here in Sacramento uh, about two years ago, three years ago is pre pandemic. And, um, and they had their bottle. They have a bottle of Louis Trey up on the top shelf, uh, but then they also had one that was on the bottom shelf of the back bar, like right, right on the counter. Um, and it, it struck me as odd. And I, like I had to know. And so I, I called the bartender over and I was like, yo, how, um, how much of that do you pour that you have it on, on just the back bar within like arm arms reach? They're like, oh, we go through about a, a bottle every three weeks. Oh, fuck, my man. Gosh. Seriously? A <laughs> bottle every three weeks? What the fuck? That's insane. I mean, that's like, that's just people with fuck you money who just either want to be seen with it or, you know, they just, oh, that's they just expense love account. it that much, you know? I mean, that's, yeah, that's expense account. That's, that's just crazy. I mean, that's, that's expense you know, account. Stuff. It's like a hundred, $150 an ounce. That's, yeah. I was like, how many, how many people, take shots of it and they're like oh almost everyone (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's devastating (laughs) that's That's devastating (laughs) oh man you know i don't i don't i don't know if i have anything uh i blindsided you with this so i i totally understand i just you know you know what stands out to me though um that i feel the need to sort of come back to because i know we talked about it a couple months ago I want to say that the Leopold three chambers whiskey uh, still stands out as one of the most interesting um, spirits that I've had of note recently. Um, Yeah. Hands down, you know, uh, so much so that it spurred a conversation between you and I drew of of a side project that I I really want to do uh, with this podcast, which is um, I, to me, the Leopold brothers, uh three chamber rye whiskey is 
to me and with with no exaggeration whatsoever perfect it is a perfect rye whiskey um i i've never tasted anything like it it's just it's it's incredible it's got insane base notes insane high notes it's very fruity it's dry it is floral somehow um and it it's all encapsulated there and so incredibly perfectly balanced i i don't i don't think i've ever had anything like it um and it haunts me still to this day um so that's i think that would have to be my pick since you blindsided me and i know it's a little i had it a little while ago um i was lucky enough to get my hands on a bottle uh thanks to a very uh dear friend of ours um that uh will not be opened um and i'm just waiting for the next release of it to to drink that one uh but uh bottle bottle one for the like first release uh, that that's not getting opened I, I don't imagine so but i'll drink plenty of the uh, the ones that come after it's a delicious paperweight is what it is right now hey, that's that's it it sits up on the, my no touchy <laughs> shelf way up so the way i can't like even if i if i'm drinking some at home i know like it's high enough where i don't if i drink enough to where i start to feel like i should get it i'm not comfortable yeah. getting up on a ladder to get it so it's still not right. not happening so we're good <laughs> that's smart that's smart <laughs> thanks well i gotta tell you i think i think that's uh i think that's a that's a good start to to the newest section of the most interesting thing you take and i already have some ideas for what kind of sound drop we can do for it so we'll Ooh, discuss that whoa. we'll discuss that I in post wait. so yeah good times Music for the Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated by Leon and Chase Moore and produced pretty damn well today by uh, by these two guys. Before we go kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that uh, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook uh, at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is dgarrison6. Chris is Chris and Flair. You can also go and check out our Etsy account. Uh, look for the Good Bottle Podcast. You can get our brand new 100% celebrity agave free shirt. Um, <laughs> our buddy Sean bought the first one and I'm really, really excited to see him get it. It shipped out uh, either yesterday or the day before, so he'll be getting it pretty soon. Um, so I'm excited to see that out on the streets. Again, it's a 100% celebrity agave free with some artwork done by an artist down in Oaxaca. It's pretty pretty dope. Uh, you can also check out anchor.fm slash Podcast. And if you would like for us to cover a story or if you're working with a brand that would like to be featured, uh, give us an email at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And you can check out all of our great episodes that we've been doing lately. There's some really, really fun ones. We really had a great time with um, uh, Blood of the Gods last week uh, with Tracy. Yeah. It was dope. That was a great one. So uh, so check it out. Check out the rest of the back catalog. Um, and uh, I guess with that said, uh, well, until next time, cheers. Cheers, baby. I deserve a double clink. Very double clinkage. <laughs> <laughs>